Welcome to Commune, a global wellness community and online course platform featuring some of the world's greatest teachers. We are on a mission to inspire, heal, pass down wisdom, and bring the world closer together. This is the Commune podcast, where each week we explore the ideas and practices that help us live this healthy, connected, and purpose-filled life. Now, if you're hunkered down at home right now, this might be a good opportunity to check out our course platform at onecommune.com, where you'll find programs from Marianne Williamson, Deepak Chopra, Russell Brand, Wim Hof, Brendan Burchard, Adrian Mishler, and from our guest on today's show. Our courses span yoga, meditation, spiritual development, functional medicine, recovery, and social impact, essentially everything you need to be holistically well. Just go to onecommune.com. And if you are one of the superheroes on the front line, a healthcare professional, supply chain worker, delivery person, scientist, biologist, government worker, you will be stressed to your limits physically and psychologically and even 30 seconds of deep breathing and grounding can help you stay centered and focused. We need you and we support you. So if you're someone on the front lines and could benefit from a meditation course on your phone, in your pocket, email me at jeffk at onecommune.com. That's jeffk at onecommune.com. And I'd be honored to set it up. My guest today is a dear, dear friend and a commune OG. She's a poet, and I know it. She's a brilliant speaker, coach, mother, author, not in any particular order. She is the author of The Desire Map, The White Hot Truth, and The Firestarter Sessions. She's a member of Oprah's Super Soul 100, and that's actually how we met. We were precariously balanced on boxes next to each other, and I turned to her and asked, Are you Danielle Laporte? And the rest is history. She now has two courses that you can enjoy on Commune, The Desire Map, and Free and Clear on onecommune.com. So right up front, I need to apologize for a number of things. We did this interview on Zoom, and the background of people's lives have been on display in this new era of Zoom, and you can really learn a lot about people from their Zoom backgrounds. However, I acknowledge that this does not function optimally on a podcast. And foolishly, I devote a couple of minutes at the beginning discussing the decorative intricacies of Danielle's art studio. Secondly, I was in an odd and slightly diabolical state of mind on this particular day. But if you can deal with this gross lack of consideration, there are some redemptive features to this episode. Danielle and I poke at some existential topics how our quarantine is getting us to confront our own mortality, how we can use this time to forgive or to write a love letter, the environmental impact of global capitalism, how we self-identify, and how perceptions of our own self-worth can shape society. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Danielle Laporte. My name is Jeff Krasnow, and welcome to Commune. I've learned more about people over the last month just through the backdrop of their life. You know right? what I mean? You learn a lot of, from about people that way. Yeah. 
Yeah. See, I mean, for me, this is like, this has become sort of like my look. I'm not really crazy about it either. I like mm. a cleaner look. And, mm. you know, stained glass, you know, that's too institutional for me from a religious standpoint. The, a little Rosicrucian. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm sort of trying to reclaim the notion of communion. That's a whole other conversation. I know. And, and then the plants, I mean, yeah, bringing the organic inside. I like the metaphor, but still, it's not really me. I'm more of like a, it's just the wood paneling's good. I would just do the plain wood paneling. Anyways, but your backdrop. You says can make a, that happen. It says a lot about you. There's a guitar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a guitar that, that gly- glyph says, through creativity, there is success. And like the Chinese calligrapher of all calligraphers, Santa Fe, 20 years ago. And I've been carrying it around everywhere. Mm. And you're in my studio right now. God, look at that. It's sort of like... And then my... There's some of my stuff. It's like you're a painter. I am a painter. I know, but it's like... Now you're, you're like really... And then is, that, is, that a, is that a punching bag? Um, yes, Harper got Craigslist and like 50 minutes, he's like, let's go. I was like, okay, we came on with that. Is that for a shadow work by any chance? (laughs) (laughs) Isn't there? You have to have stuff or you, your knuckles. I did not know that. Yeah. Well, there's actually a term called shadow boxing. So maybe that's what you're doing. You could, that's a good book title. Come on. Already things are happening. Um, and you get free, you get serenaded every day. Every day. It's the best part. Actually, somebody asked me about what was one of the blessings of these times is live music all the time. Hmm. What do you get to hear? Oh, Harper doing Led Zeppelin, Harper doing um, uh, Bill Withers. We went through big Bill Withers. And, you know, he keeps coming back to the Beatles a lot. Beatles and Led Zeppelin. And then he's 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 mixing in some of the classics with like Tyler the Creator and trying to do all this mashup stuff. It's pretty cool, actually. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know if we talked about it or maybe you've seen it on the social media, but we up here at the commune, we got these two tiny little kitties. Yeah. Tiny, tiny, tiny. Yeah. I mean, palm in your hands, tiny. And uh, we've had quite a naming process. <laughs> so um, we, we cycled through sort of a number of Jewish law firms, Rosenstein and Thornburg. That was going on for a minute. Then we did uh, Global Despots. So Meow Tung and Fidel <laughs> Castro. And, 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 then, and then transitioned slowly into musicians. So in honor of, of Bill, we did Bill Whiskers. <laughs> uh, and of course, Cat Stevens, you can't lose when it's that obvious. Um, so if you have any suggestions, obviously we're hurting. Mm-hmm. We're hurting here. Where's the mom? Because I saw them being fed with a, like a syringe. Yeah, they were strays. So, you know, mm. where's the mom? Mm. Maybe they, yeah. Where's the dad? Who knows? It could be immaculate. I learned that about uh, in Easter. I, I saw you commented on that where uh, the rabbit, this has nothing to do with anything, 
but the rabbit has a kind of religious significance in, in Christianity for being able to reproduce while maintaining its virginity. Yeah. I didn't know that. Mm. So bunny, little these little bunnies, they're immaculate. Mm. Anyways, I won't waste your time. Mm. I'm feeling cranky. I need food. I need sugar. And a little morose and slightly mm. diabolical. Mm. So you caught me at a good time. Okay, perfect. For, for an interview. So there's so much to talk about. I mean, and how could we not talk about what is the zeitgeist? There's so much to talk about with regards to COVID-19 because it has so many dimensions um, from the political to the ecological to the microscope that it is shining on the socioeconomic inequities. Um, and then, of course, there is the psychological and I guess I would just start there with you is what's going on psychologically for you and I guess for your sense of what people are going through in general. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm preparing to die. Hmm. And I got really clear on that a couple of weeks ago and I've decided um, it could, it could be in 40, 50 years, hopefully it is, or it could be tomorrow, or it could be part of, I could be part of this, you know, I think we're in a passage, we're going somewhere. Um, but I've been like, my first response to all this was just pressure, just this like compression. And I'm like, like, what am I going to squeeze out of this? What's the clarity? Like tunnel focus. And it's like, all right, I want to live like I'm dying. And it can't be like a new age self-help cliche anymore. So I started to think about like, who will I be? Who would I love to be as a crone? And I've seen her and she's, and she wears a lot of white and she's still doing lots of yoga and she's lovely and she's very forgiving. And, um, there's something, there's a kind of peace my 90-year-old self has. And I thought, well, why not now? And so what do I have to do to be that just, I think, just aligned with higher love, that deep sense of harmony? Yeah, you know, we all have those people in our lives. I've seen them. We've, we've had dinner with them at the commune where there's just this quality of grace. So that is what I think comes, if you can hold that pressure and not lose your mind and not break, you got grace nailed. And I think grace is death and sorrow. It's joy and life. It's, and you walk and you can only walk one day at a time. Hmm. Um, so I've had really great conversations with my 16 year old son about death and and what's the world we want to live in and then what who do I need to be to be my to play my role in that world and I have to let go of a, some stuff I wouldn't say a lot of stuff but some significant things things I hadn't seen before a month ago yeah that's interesting now that we've sort of collectively felt the hot 
breath of the apocalypse on our neck. I think it's sort of like accepting death as part of life, that this Mm -hmm. kind of duality Mm -hmm. and this fear that cripples us and also enhances our lives because on some level without death, what would life even be? But I read this book recently, Atul Gawande's book called Being Mortal. I'm right, like how <clears throat> essentially modern medicine, we do every single thing that we can to extend life to its absolute terminus, you know, like keeping people in states of misery and pain just to keep them alive instead of getting our heads around what it might be to die well. Mm-hmm. And... um yeah, it is interesting. And, and it's opened up, you're right, a lot of conversations because I'm having conversations with Phoebe, my 15-year-old. Like, I've never had these conversations, part of it, because she can't get fucking rid of me because she's stuck <laughs> with me, you know? Yeah. So I get her, you know? But mm-hmm. um, Force philosophy. That's yeah. right, yeah. Um, so I think that's interesting, sort of the evolving attitudes and conversations um, around death and all these archetypes that, that are emerging, like, you know, that have always been there. So that's why they're called archetypes, but like the, the sort of hangman readying his noose and, and the grim reapers along shadow and like the, the, these shadow archetypes that are in our immediate vision. And uh, I bring that up sort of because I think, we're also in this time of almost forced monasticism confronting our own shadows. I mean, that's why monks go out to the ashrams or wherever, to the caves, to essentially remove any external stimuli, Mm -hmm. not just to kind of deal with transitory contentment, but also to do the real work. Mm -hmm. Is there real work to be done right Mm -hmm. now? Mm. I have a dangling line of a poem that I'm working on that it, it goes something like uh, spirituality is the dance between presence and uncertainty, which makes all of us monks today. Mm. Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I, I think this is a global call to forgive. That's like, that's the finest point I can put on it. Because if you move it, if that's the intention, if you move into forgiveness, you just go through all the sediment. You go, you do the external of like the grievances and the resentments and then what they did and they and me and verses and all that. And then you get down to you and your role in it. And then underneath that, you get into like, well, why did I attract that? Why did I show up that way? And then you get into, then now we're almost here. We're almost in the center. You forgive yourself and there you meet life. You meet mercy which comes from, you know, I think the the higher source. Um, So everybody, you know, right now, you think about what do you do on retreat? You ball your eyes out, you bring your journal. (laughs) Um, You let everybody know, like, I'm I'm not going to be on Wi-Fi for a while. And uh, like you go in and you fall apart. And this is the perfect time to fall apart. Like if you can't fall apart now and Oh, you know, I want to get into this with you, but it's like, we got to get this. We got to get this. We have to transform as a result of this, or it's going to get worse. It, well, let me not prophesize. It could very much, very possibly get a lot worse. Um, so we can't say, I'm going to deal with my 
family of origin stuff, or I'm going to tell so-and-so sorry later, or I'm going to confront or dissolve my anxiety when I can be out and about and I'm not on quarantine. No, like now is the time. So like I was saying to some friends the other day, okay, so everybody imagine, let's just pretend this is like a fantasy that um, the whole world, most of the world takes a break for a few months and we all decide um, we're going to cook our own food. We're not going to go out for dinner and we're going to do yoga and stretching at home. And we're going to have hard conversations with some people and you've got space now. You're not running around. How's everybody? And everybody, of course, we're all like, my God, that'd be a dream come true. Yeah. And the dream's coming with like all this extenuating suffering, but like, this is a gift. Make the most of the gift, fall apart, cry in your living room, apologize, amend, let go, let go, let go, let go, let go, let go. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The forgiveness piece, I think, is compelling. It's all compelling. The forgiveness piece is poignant. Um, Because we're carrying around an ember, you know, in life, this ember. And, of course, we're the one holding it, you know, so we're getting burned. But Mm. but with... The ember of resentment? The ember of resentment. You know, for being done wrong, for being betrayed, you know, just by the world, but also by those that we love or have loved. Um, and that resentment and that anger, um, that I think so many of us hold through life that pits itself in our heart Mm -hmm. that becomes, I suppose, what Michael Singer calls sort of a negative samskara, Mm -hmm. but that it doesn't, that your human condition doesn't even, you can't even draw a straight line from why you are living in a state of distress. You can't even draw a straight line from that to it. But it is, it is at the core. The very core. Of it. So how, how do you excavate that in this time of, as you very succinctly put, sort of global retreat? Well, I think you, for most of us, we have to work from the outside in because we're so, we just have this groove for grievances that me versus, and I mean, this goes, we're, we can trace the trail it goes, to, you know, I don't feel connected from the divine. I've been cast out somehow and that's baked into us, but let's just go with, he did me wrong. So just as an example of my saintliness and evolution right now, I'll tell you <laughs> that as we speak, my ex-husband is on my front porch eating a meal that I cooked because he's a firefighter. So our son is sheltering with me. So there it's, it's sad and awful and gorgeous right now what's happening. And they talk through the window because we live in a really old house with saran wrap thin windows. And if you would have told me, (laughs) you would have told me (laughs) a decade ago that I was ever going to cook another meal for that dude and (laughs) do it joyfully. Like it actually, like I am putting, I put a lot of love in that potato salad because in this time of compression, I'm just, I'm over it so much. Don't care. 
I want wellness. I want to make it through to this passage. I want to live in community. I want to, you know, this is what I see in my 90 year old self. You know what she does? She actually goes out of her way to see the best in people first. That's not me on a bad day. It's me on a good day when I've stretched and I've had a lot of, you know, I've had some ribose tea, but so I want to do that now. So I can do that now and I can make my old man, my old, old man, some potato salad. That's where it starts. Why don't, wouldn't it be a great time right now to write a love letter, an apology letter, or an acceptance letter to someone who did you wrong? It's not about, you know, um, I am, dear you, I'm laying my burden down. This is a time because we're on a deathbed. The plant, Mother Earth is, she's crippled by us. We're, we're, we are dying. We are dying and we can save this. We can save this. I mean, I've had some beautiful conversations about actual, well, not actual resurrection, but miracles where, you know, hospice patients, 15% of people who go into a hospice walk out. I had this conversation with Zach Bush and why is that? And one of the reasons they attribute it to is that they give up most of their medication other than their pain meds. So they give up their diabetes stuff and their kidney thing and they, they give all that and they decide to live. So let's make the connection. Like I got to give up some resentments. I have to give up some ambitions for sure. I've got to give up this, you know, I've done a lot of work, so it's pretty minimal at this point, but I still have a bit of rapaciousness to like what I want. Mm. And I actually have to give up my, uh, some dreams and doesn't mean they won't come true. And while I'm at it, I'm going to throw in some Netflix. (laughs) (laughs) And um, there's a few other things, but that gets me the life I want to live. Yeah. Yeah. It's a time of shedding. I mean, back to that sort of um, forced monasticism sort of concept is that, that every, basically our instinct is, when there is something wrong on the inside, we're looking for some kind of external agent to deal with it. It's sort of like, uh, the stove in the kitchen is not working. Okay, I'm going to go do some landscaping to fix it. So it doesn't fucking make any sense. But of course, when it's in our heads and it's all up in here, it's very irrational. It doesn't make sense. But in the absence of being able to actually... Um, engage with any external stimuli, you know, we can't, you know, go down to H&M and, you know, buy a new frock or like, you know, get on an airplane and have an adventure or even get into our car, whatever, all these things that essentially have been shedded away, have been peeled back, Mm -hmm. you know, God, we just have to deal with ourselves, you know, and we're not trained for that. Nope. We're not trained to... I mean, we're not trained to live in um, Sam Harris, who I follow um, quite closely. He said this thing was really insightful. He's like, the greatest punishment one can get is the death penalty. The second greatest punishment that is doled out by the criminal justice system is solitary confinement. That we essentially would rather live amongst thieves and criminals and murderers and rapists than we would be with ourselves, heaven forbid. Because we are just not trained to be quietly with ourselves um, because it just brings too much 
scary shit up. So here we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can only hope that that's a very good thing. See, the metaphor I always use is like, this body is just a suitcase, but now you're talking about your valise, the suitcase. So like this, the, your valise is the subconscious. And apparently it's, it's your subconscious is running like 95% of everything you do. You, if you, if you, if you dug into that subconscious now, you'd interact differently with the taxi driver. We would vote differently. We would show up differently. We, we here. Let's just get down to this. If you dig into the suitcase that is your subconscious, figure out why, what's there—the wounds, the shame, all of that—you um, won't shop as much. And consumption is at the root. Well, actually, lack of self-love is at the root of our consumption problem. Is at the root of the pillaging of mother earth is at the root of this pandemic and the political systems that keep it all into place. It's very tricky. Well, it's not, it's not tricky. It is sadly rare to have a conversation about political systems and that kind of infrastructure and your daddy issues, but that's, what's driving all of this. So why don't you deal with your daddy issues right now? Yeah. Yes. That is a, Yes, that is a incredibly insightful, coherent point, because and it's rarely alloyed. This idea that our patterns of behavior that essentially contribute towards systems that are unsustainable mm-hmm. um, is rooted in our lack of self worth. Mm-hmm. Can I can I walk you through the life cycle of a luxury handbag? Yes. Okay. Because I'm using this to make my point. And why a luxury handbag? Because I'm a chick and it works. <laughs> <laughs> and the people who hang with me are like, oh, I totally get it now. So, you know, we want, we want this. Like, let's just focus on the item. I won't, we won't name any brands. And luxury is a relative term. It's whatever you think it's, you know, it's big fat spending. Okay. That handbag is probably made of an animal that was probably raised in inhumane, make you sick to your stomach conditions if you actually really knew what went on. As it's leatherized, there's this big chemical process. We're spewing out toxins into the water that we drink and fish swim in, et cetera. Um, It's probably made by people in a country where you probably don't live and they're maybe living above the poverty line. Um, And then it's going to be shipped here, there, and everywhere, and there's lots of heaving and hefting to get it to the advertising agency is going to hire a model to hang out in a photo with that handbag that you are coveting. And that model has been photoshopped beyond human possibility. Like it just, you're actually uh, aspiring to something that's not even real. All so that, oh, no, let's, let's not forget about the company who's selling you the handbag. Their reason for being is to put more money in the pockets of their high net worth stakeholders. 
It's not about making the planet a better place. It's actually not even about making you feel better. It's just to get richer. And you work at a job that you maybe love that you probably don't, you overwork. So you don't have time for the yoga and you don't have time to grow your own lettuce, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that you can walk in a room and someone is going to think you're important because you have this symbol. And that is going to help you feel the so-called love that you didn't get this lifetime or some other lifetime. So if you loved yourself enough to not buy the fucking bag, or work at a job you loved it, lived in, loved, we might be more well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think it is connected to a sense of our own enoughness. And like you say, it's a, we live within systems and structures that sort of per, that prey upon perceived deficiencies. Yes. And it is their MO to essentially hurdle messages at us that are, that portray a false sense of perfection that mm -hmm. is unattainable, mm -hmm. that preys on this perceived deficiency of not being enough. Mm -hmm. And then of course, you know, market goods and services to us to assuage that feeling and to solve our discontents. And unfortunately that system is, is so powerful and it's so entrenched, it's almost a religion. And, and yes, and, and unlike, and I've said this before, but unlike other religions, we seem to happily follow its precepts um, because the promise is so intoxicating. The promise mm -hmm. is heaven on earth, you know, happiness right here. Mm -hmm. um, of course, you know, we're pretty much dissatisfied the second we open the box um, mm -hmm. and looking for that next transitory pleasure. And I, my great hope right now is that with the stripping away of these externalities that people have started to develop habits and we can talk about habits mm -hmm. but in this even just short period of time of you know 30 40 days that they're starting people are starting to realize i know this is true for me um that they don't need those things yeah. and um and you know whatever there's been research done on how long it actually takes people to change and um and certainly, like, you know, there's this notion of, like, 21 days, which has given, you know, birth to all of these 21-day meditation challenges or whatever. Um, and that's specious, I think. Um, but could you have imagined 40 days ago that global behavior would be what it is right now? And we've always said, we've always sort of, you know, pointed that, at this sort of inertia around, around environmentalism particularly of like, oh, well, people can never change their behavior. You know, it's just the scope of this problem is too big. People can't stop driving. How are they going to get to work? They can't stop flying. They got to go. But it happened. Mm -hmm. So. Will, will and devotion. I mean, that's where this all ends up. Habits and do people change? And, and everybody I'm talking to right now, 
who considers themselves, you know, any loving being I'm talking to right now is concerned that we won't have really changed our behavior when we get to the other side of this. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's the great fear is that we scurry back Mm -hmm. to the old ways. And this is the, like, I feel like I just want to have this megaphone that says, all idealists, (laughs) front of the line right now. You've been in the back, you've been in the line. I think, and and I want everybody to use 2020 as their coming out year. Mm. Like, hey, I went on retreat, I came out, and let's not associate it with a virus, like just the whole experience of 2020. I came out. And I'm, and I'm a tree hugger and I'm a communitarian. And I figured out that I'm about love and the business model is going to reflect that now. Yeah. 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 The big shift I've felt for me hmm. is the importance of building things at human scale, not at global industrial scale mm-hmm. and really sticking to that mm-hmm. uh, in my own life. But that, that there is a localization model that is not only kind of at our fingertips, not only addresses global climate change, global corporatism, greed, income inequality, all of those things, but it's also so much more fulfilling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I I see it. I think where we're going, because I think so many beautiful changes is there. It's emerging and lots of it is going to stick is to local governance. Mm-hmm. And but I see it, you know, from the heart outward. So like concentric circles. If I look after myself, my shadow, my light, my pain, my glory. all of that. OK, I'm I'm that's called self-awareness. I know what I need. I know who I need to spend my time with. I know what I need to do to feel good. I know how to take care of myself. My body aches. I take care of it. I feel insecure. I can love them, you know? And then what happens? You just radiate out there and it's like, hey, you, I can sense what you're feeling. I'll take care of you and I'll share some of my stuff with you. And, and out it goes. And if you, if we, if we become, if we coalesce around smaller groups, you know how everybody's feeling. You know where the weak points are. You know who's wrong. You share your food. And when something toxic comes into that smaller organism, you're all resilient because you're all aware of it. The thing is, the ego loves big shit. (laughs) The ego loves big goals like an addict loves sugar. And so just it's we just make monsters and we lose connection with each other. Yeah, we're growth addicted. And the fact is we don't need three, four percent growth to in fact it's it's not even sustainable because we're Mm. growing at that rate on limited resources. But not even getting into that, this sort of reanimation of the public square, you know, um, Mm. where you actually as an individual feel connected to the issues that matter to you most, not sort of like some far out, you know, uh, sort of weekend warrior version of politics, um, but actually like what's happening in your neighborhood. Um, And that kind of civic engagement where you can actually have 
real, make a real difference in the people's lives that are there right there. Mm-hmm. Um, it also makes you more open-minded because you're stronger, you're more confident, you've got all that lear- nourishment that comes with community. So your ego is just shrinking, you get more open-minded to see what's going on way over there. Like you might be, you know, I'm looking after my community. I'm feeling strong. Oh, what are they doing in China? What's happening in Cuba right now? And it's not, and there's less otherness because your experience is belongingness. Mm -hmm. So that belongingness, you know, just like infiltrates your consciousness. Everybody belongs. You take care of what's right in front of you because that is what love does. Yeah, it does. Yeah, it's an interesting way to get at self transcendence, <laughs> but I'll take it. <laughs> um, yeah, I think um, it's also. I talked to this woman, Helena Norberg Hodge, the other day. Um, she's Swedish, living in Australia, and she's been a proponent of localization for. 40 years and, you know, been, you know, to every big, you know, UN convening on the subject and written fantastic number of books on it. And, you know, I've always come at some of the societal ills from a values perspective. Like, I've always come at it like, all right, like the Enlightenment came along, introduced kind of reason and rationality, sort of a value-neutral approach to life through this sort of scientific method, built sort of a scientific method-like relationship between humans based on sort of like a mutually beneficial, supposedly transactional relationship between humans. Like, Not I, that enlightened, yeah. Yeah, not that enlightened. And, you know, certainly coming out of the fucking dark ages, which wasn't that fucking enlightened either, which was, you know, faith-based um, revelatory sort of societal organization. And so I, I, in, and, in and of itself, it's not that like the enlightenment and its sanctification of the virtues of the individual is not based in something meaningful. It, it is, I mean, in and of its time. But we've taken it to such a degree that now all we are as humans are transactional economic units you know, yep. and that's the way that essentially we treat each other. And and it is essentially, we, we've built systems and structures, economies, ne- neoliberalism, government, whatever, on top of that ethos. So, of mm-hmm. course, it has no values in it. And so our systems and structures that govern our lives as spiritual beings are completely non-spiritual. They're, they're essentially devoid of values by their definition. So I've always come at this as a little bit of like a values issue. It's like, no, no, we need to reinstill the values that have been echoed across every spiritual tradition forever. You know, love, compassion, empathy, forgiveness, these need to be our guiding lights. And we've gone too far towards rationalism and the individual. And I think that's like, that's been, I've been on that high horse for a minute. And she actually kind of like knocked me down a notch. And she was like, no, no, it's not about values. She's like, even the, I mean, I'm 
kind of like putting words in her yeah. mouth a little bit. But like she's like, even the oil and gas executive has values. Probably like a great dad. Probably like great mom, like goes to the soccer game on the weekends and stuff like that. It's it's the systems and structures themselves that need to be undone, unwoven, re-examined, and recreated. That we've created these systems and structures. I don't that, agree. Yeah. Help, <laughs> yeah, help me out here. Because I, I don't, I, I heard her, but yeah. We're the links in the chain. Mm-hmm. So, so, so let's, let's take the oil exec who's, who's a great dad. He's the system that needs to come undone and to be dismantled to see why, what is the wound? What is the ill thinking that is driving him to, you know, be loving at home, but to be, a, you know, support the pillaging of the mother. There's some division, some fracture in his spirit there. And I would venture to guess it's some family of origin wound from this lifetime or another lifetime that has gone unnoticed, unexamined, and most definitely unhealed. And to heal that to, you know, it's, it's, it's an opening of the heart. You get it, you get into that subconscious, you see it. The only thing you can do is you get, you're going to get to a point where all you can do is have enough love for yourself to hand your pain over to something higher, something greater than you. And there you have it. Yourself meets the God self meets your God self. So this is problematic, actually, this idea that the systems outside of us, the government outside of us, the community, we're making up these systems. We, We can't get into this oppositional thing of like something is being done to us. At the very least, at the very least, we are participating in those demeaning systems. So just just start there. I'm not saying victimization isn't happening. And I mean, we don't need to get into that. There is a, there is a Harry Potter, Voldemort scale battle on the earth right now of light forces and dark forces, but they are all within us. And so we're either saying yes to shit treatment, um, you know, or we're wielding it. Yeah. There's a, a variety of, I suppose, kind of different circumstances facing people right now. Um, obviously, there's people that are very sick. There's also these unbelievably brave souls like your ex and hundreds and hundreds of people that have emailed me, nurses, doctors, medical professionals, supply chain workers, um, grocery clerks, I mean, biologists, government workers, Army Corps of Engineers, essentially out there, Um then there's 18 million people in this country, in the United States, that have just filed for unemployment. There are small business owners like me who's like basically just like trying to scrap it together and keep everyone on payroll. Just, just if I can just do that, that's Same. it, you know? Then there's like a whole, probably the overwhelming majority of people that are just home. And and cooking and crying and laughing and a little bit of Netflix and contemplating life and, and living with less 
and coming to new realizations, reprioritizing things. And that's a, that's a significant spectrum, you know? Um, well, and, and those without shelter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The fact that that can even exist is it's, it's agony. Hein- it's heinous. It's grotesque. Um, how, how do you deal with that spectrum of experiences right now? Because here we are, we're having this conversation that has a lot of hope in it. (laughs) But then sometimes I try to check myself. I'm like, shit, you know, there are situations that, that don't feel very hopeful. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The week of retreat where we decided, okay, it's time to stay inside for a while on behalf of our wellness and everybody else's wellness. Uh, you know, all systems get clogged. It's difficult to get groceries. I'm not going to the grocery store. I have a lung condition. So I have every, you know, I'm getting apples on my porch. And I had thought for a minute, I felt this panic, like I messed up my grocery order and we weren't going to get food for two weeks. And then I just went into, well, somebody else isn't going to get food right now. Someone else can't afford the food. And someone is used to not getting food a lot very much at all ever. So I think there's something about making your own pain, your personal pain, transpersonal. And be, I'm not talking about spiritually bypassing and sugarcoating it when you're happy positivity, there's a gift in this, but like, this is a time to use our pain to connect ourselves to other people. So I just, I've been scaling my own pain. That's been helping actually a lot. And there's a lot for so many of us to be so grateful for right now. And, you know, like personal protection equipment. How many hospitals in developing countries? I mean, I know women in Haiti who are developing or delivering babies with like one glove and some thread. And this is the edge that they live on. So there's am I going to complain about having my apples delivered? But the spectrum, I feel that if you are, if you are generally well, and if you are deeply devoted and you can tap into your inclusive nature and live heart centered and be generous, then it's, it's your job. It's our job right now to pray for, to meditate for, to clean our surfaces for, to do all these things for wellness on behalf of the people who are suffering the most. So I can sit here on my perch and say, you know, this is global group therapy and this is a cosmic passage that we're all crossing through to to live into our beautiful ideal. Yeah? Well, what if your lungs are heaving and you're on the front lines and you don't have, you can't get an apple? Don't worry about it. We got you. Those of us who are in relative comfort and awakened, awake, awakening, we're going to carry your pain for a while because that's what love does. So we'll carry your pain by creating new systems. We'll carry your pain in prayer. We'll carry your pain by growing food and creating shelter. Like we, this is part of the idea. The opposite of that ideology is what's got us so messed up is like, I earned it. I'm going to keep it. No, you are it. It's a blessing and you best share it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's beautiful. That there is an honoring of the work that that those of us who are not on the front lines can embrace and take on. Um, yeah. And now's the time to turn to the inner practices. Like you can't, you can't live whole, you can't live. Radiance only comes from reflection and introspection. And so you can get into your own valise and look at your stuff and that has to happen. But this is a time to do all of those, those esoteric practices for the mother, for the earth, for each other. It is the time to be in prayer. Hmm. Yeah. What does Zach say about, um, you know, some of the environmental implications and, you know, I've read it two different ways. I mean, certainly like in Los Angeles, we're enjoying the clearest air mm -hmm. that has been in existence since for 30, 40 years. Emissions down 30%. What? Yeah. And I know that I've seen images all across the world of, uh, you know, similarly in, you know, in China. And I've even read, there's a study by a Stanford University professor that even went so far to say that that COVID-19 has actually saved more lives than it has cost in China because of the, the uh, reduction of particulates in the air that cause cancer or sort of pulmonary disease, especially um, with older folks. Mm -hmm. So, so I, I've seen some of like the hopeful and positive signs. And then I've also seen some of the warnings on the other side um, which is like, well, you know, we can't really hang our hopes on a pandemic to solve the underlying issues of global warming um, and uh, and climate catastrophe. So I'm, I'm wondering kind of what where your where you are on that, and I also know that you talk to um, experts in that field. Yeah, well, I'd had a fantasy for a long time at night and it just, it felt, um, it felt almost like Disney, <laughs> my naive fantasy. Like, why can't we just shut her down for a year? What if, like, if I were queen for a day, I would say, all right, we're gonna just go lowest possible consumption and production for a year. And then, of course, you, people would rush in and say, well, what about the economy? And be like, well, we're going to create all these systems to take care of each other. And then we're going to ease back out. So I think, like, we only can take care of the environment if we ease back into things, but we create thresholds. Otherwise, like, if we get revenge spending and revenge, manu revenge manufacturing, it's like, well, now we're going to run our factories 24-7. Or I've been saving up for those shoes. This is the time to like feel the delight of living with less mm -hmm. and how um, just how equipped we are. And it's, and, and I do, and I mean delight, like it's the little things like today I just pulled out a spoon that I never use in the kitchen. It's my good spoon, but today's a good day to use your best, you know? <laughs> and that small metaphor is like translatable to so many things like, we have all that we need from um, from the love and the compassion to the victory gardens. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, a, imagining a new reality 
in which we own less, mm-hmm. lest we be owned, mm-hmm. which is is the case so often. We often think that like in sort of our great feats of innovation and progress, progress, God, I've been hanging out with you too much. Wink. Pro- <laughs> uh, progress. Thank you. Um, that there's sort of this linear uh, amelioration of mankind where it's like, okay, you know, you take the agricultural revolution. Okay, we figured out how to domesticate animals and to grow crops, and now we've domesticated agriculture. Well, Mm -hmm. actually, that domesticated us. Who ended up living in a home and not exploring and foraging? And, you know, it completely changed the way human beings lived. We weren't engineered to harvest crops. We were engineered to roam the Serengeti. So essentially, we've every time we think that we've figured something out, you know, and, and now, you know, fast forward, you know, the accumulation of trinkets, mega mansions, devices, cars, mortgages, loans, you know, who is the one that is doing the owning? Mm-hmm. Who is owned? <laughs> you know, so much that we don't have, we feel like we have no choice over our own life just to maintain all of the accumulation of things that we have tried to forge upon ourselves in the name of, I don't know, happiness, contentment, success, accomplishment. I don't know. Self-worth. Yes. Back to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What's the message? If you got, Can you sum it up? You're good that way. Mm, the message is uh, your life is a micro of the macro. And now is the perfect time to, uh, I would say this, it's been an invitational retreat. So first like be in choice. We're not an obligation. Um, if, if you are retreating, you're doing so on your free will and then use that free will to like look within and see what's been holding you back from love and fulfillment and your radiance and when you get through that passage, you're not going to need the trappings. You're going to know you're loved. You're going to know you're loving. And we will design different systems that are based on wellness. Yeah. But this is the time to forgive, forgive it all. And from there, new vision emerges. Yeah, we should be, if all goes well, if all goes well, we will be unrecognizable in the most (laughs) splendiferous way on the other side. I love you, Danielle Laporte. And in the new story, once a year, as I told you, I'll get in my horse and buggy and I'll come up the coast, visit you in Vancouver. I will have, in the new story, I will have lettuce for you. (laughs) Yes, I'm there. Only in the summer. Thank you for listening to today's show. If you would like to learn more about Danielle and her work, go to daniellelaporte.com. And remember, she's got two amazing courses on Commune. If you have any questions or comments about today's show, email me directly at jeffk at onecommune.com. I try to reply to every email. 
That's it from the commune for this week. My name is Jeff Krasno, and I am here for you.